0: Stand out from the crowd by gaining the right experience. The next step in your
1: cybersecurity journey starts with Cybrary. Sign up for the Insider Pro or Teams product to learn and develop skills and reach your goals. You're listening to the 401 Access Denied Podcast. I'm Mike Rowan, VP of Engineering and CISO at Cybrary. Please join me and my co-host, Joseph Carson, Chief Security Scientist at Thycotic, as we discuss the latest news and attempt to make cybersecurity accessible, usable, and fun. Be sure to check back every two weeks for new episodes.
0: Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of 401 Access Tonight. My name is Joe Carson, one of your co-hosts today, Chief Security Scientist at Thykotic. And I'm really excited about today's discussion. This is a follow-up uh, to the previous guest, Jessica, where we have another guest, Jessica, today, who's going to take us through some of the human behavior sides of cyber attacks and really the true impact. This is the true cost of cybercrime. Um, so really excited about today's episode. And again, I'm joined here with Mike, uh, my awesome co-host. Mike, do you want to give us a little brief uh, yeah. introduction?
1: Yep, Mike Gruen, uh CISO and VP of Engineering here at Cybrary, uh located in DC. And uh Jessica, thank you for joining us. Uh very much looking forward to this. Um and and to start off with, why don't you give a little bit of background on yourself? Um, maybe mention the fact that you have a book uh coming out and uh and a little bit about that as well.
2: Sure. Thanks so much. It's a pleasure to be here. So thanks for the uh, warm welcome. So I'm Dr. Jessica Barker. I'm co-CEO of a cybersecurity company based in the UK. We work globally uh, called Sygenta. So with my husband, FC, we run a small and awesome team um, working on the human, technical and physical sides of cybersecurity. And I've always worked on the human side, um, my husband on the technical side and the physical side. And so a few years ago, we thought, you know what, let's bring it all together and see what we can do. Um, so yeah, I work on awareness, behavior, culture, absolutely love what I get to do with all sorts of different clients on that side of things. I also published a book in September this year, um, published by Kogan Page for Confidence Cybersecurity, became an Amazon number one bestseller on the day of release. Ooh, just, you know, well, just saying,
1: <laughs> um,
2: so people, people want to learn more about cybersecurity, which I think is great news. And have another book coming up in January, which I have co-authored with Kieran McMahon, Bruce Hallis, and Adrian Davies. And That's that awesome. is Cybersecurity ABCs, all about awareness, behavior, and culture. That's
0: great. fantastic. And I think this is the, this is sometimes the forgotten part of cybersecurity, is one, one thing that I, I kind of usually get upset about over the years is we always blame the humans. We always blamed them, you know, they were the fault, they were the error, they were the ones that clicked on the link. And when we think about it, I always get upset at that because I will see that they're the victims as well. In most cases, even when we talk about insiders, they are secondary victims. They're not intentionally, you know, if they drop something, you know, know, leave something in the airport or um, they click on something, in many cases, that's their job. And we victimize them too much. And that always got me upset. And I think it was really important, you know, what you're doing in the industry to really raise the awareness and raise that these are victims. These are the victims of crimes and we should empower them. We should look to how we can use technology to help them, not make them the blame. So is that something you're seeing as a kind of upcoming kind of awareness factor?
2: Yeah, I think it's changing actually a lot, which is, is brilliant. When I first entered the industry, uh, it's basically 10 years ago, I came in with a background from sociology, politics, civic design, and I found it really weird the way that everyone blamed the user as well. We didn't even call them people. Um, we blamed the user as if they're this like different beast that's different to us as if we aren't users as well. Um, and yeah, a lot of kind of victim blaming, um, so I was really interested to draw parallels, for example, between some of the sociology research around victim blaming and um, some of the stuff in criminology and then what was happening in cybersecurity. And you do still see it, of course. You do, mm-hmm. unfortunately, still see a lot of victim blaming, both at the people level and at the company level. Um, but I think we're moving away from it. I think the last couple of years, we have started to see that shift where mm-hmm. many people are calling out this victim blaming. And, um, and in so, for example, one thing I do, I'm the chair of Club CISO, uh, which is a group of over 500 information security leaders. And in our research this year, we asked them about a hundred of our membership what they were most interested in for the year ahead. And they said security culture. And we Mm -hmm. asked what they were doing in terms of advancing security culture. And one of the number one things they said was promoting a proactive, no blame report Mm -hmm. culture. So really trying to move to a just culture where we don't blame people for incidents. So there's a definite shift happening, and I think that's really positive.
1: Yep. Yeah, I think um, I think right in a lot of cases, it's people just either just trying to do their job the best way they can and making an honest mistake or not, you know, or, or whatever it is, or as Joe pointed out, the sort of clicking on links, I think there's probably, and I'm curious what, you're, what you found, like the number of actual malicious insiders is probably very, very small. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, nice.
2: It is. And a malicious insider is really damaging. Um, You know, when they strike. The psychology of a malicious insider is fascinating. Um, We can look at sort of um, models around fraud that show us. So there's the Crows Pentagon, um, which looks at the sort of five different factors that are usually in place when somebody carries out sort of internal fraud when we have a malicious insider. Usually they are disgruntled. You know, we'll have all seen these cases. Often somebody who has been in an organization for years or decades, and they just feel looked over. They haven't been promoted. They feel they're not getting rewarded or recognized. So they're disgruntled. They usually have a pressure, maybe debt, maybe problems at home, you know, whatever it is, something driving them there. And then a few other factors, you know, overconfidence, thinking they can get away with it. Um, They usually are pretty smart. And all of these things kind of come together and they actually convince themselves that they... Um, and not a criminal. They're not doing anything wrong. They convince right. themselves the organization is wrong and um, that they are getting what they deserve by doing whatever they're doing. But that is rare um, to see that. It's, you know, I think the figures vary according to research, somewhere between like three and 10% um, of the insider activity. Um, whereas the vast majority is non-malicious insiders, exactly mm-hmm. as you've both
0: described.
1: Right, but I think the malicious one, it's just a much better story. So it tends to get more, right? Like well, that's media, where it's going to be. Media attraction It's <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You
0: know, an employee accidentally right. clicks on a link, you know, company gets attacked, <laughs> um, doesn't really make the headline news. Right. Uh, you know, but malicious insider who purposely, you know, came back in with the credentials and deleted the entire service, that's what yeah. makes news. So um, unfortunately, uh, you, know, you know, I always get upset as well as, you know, we tend to go after those big stories and we don't get into the reality um, of what really it is and getting into the human side is that ultimately, you know, the internet and the browser was created to click on things. Right. And that's ultimately, you know, what many people's jobs is, is to open attachments, to look at links, and to fill in forms, and to, in many cases, the internet. And what we do today is mostly in a browser. Um, yeah. And to victimize people for for not being able to detect, um, you know, they're relying on technology in the background to do the job, to, to do what's intended to do. And, you know, if you clicked up 100 links or 1,000 links and say, you know, the 1,001 is a, is a malicious, you know, I don't think we should be blaming the humans. I think it goes back to one of the things I always believe is that we need to empower them to be able to not be afraid. I remember a few years ago, I did a uh, uh, major workshop and educational session with all teachers and police force. And they said, if there's one thing I can tell organizations that would make the difference is what would it be? And the one thing that came to mind was, is that, you know, never be afraid to ask for advice. Is that when you do see, when you accidentally click on something, don't be afraid to go and say, I did something, and I'm not sure whether it's malicious or whether it was good or not. The organizations who put that in practice really are able to, you know, they're able to stop the attacks much earlier because the employees are more willing to actually speak out to IT. Um, Is that something, Jesse, do do you feel that we're getting there more, you know, accelerating that type of mentality and culture shift
2: we are it's slow to change um, but I mean just yesterday I was speaking to a client uh, financial services mm-hmm. and they were talking about their phishing simulations and the fact that they're moving away from looking at click rate to looking at report rate and yes. I've had that conversation with so many CISOs in the last mm-hmm. year um, you know compared to a few years ago where it was very rare that somebody was, was looking at that um, so I think we are moving towards it of course it mm-hmm. takes it takes time um, but that positive reinforcement of the behaviors you want is so much more um, impactful than just blaming people for the behaviors that you don't want that, like you say, Joe, are impossible anyway. Don't click on links. Well, I have to click on links or be wary of suspicious emails. Well, you know, I mean, some of them are obvious and some of them are much more sophisticated. So what are we even telling people when we say be wary of suspicious emails? That's incredibly vague and unhealthy. Yeah,
1: that actually reminds me of I saw a security researcher. She, had, um, I think I've told this story before. Um, I want to say it was a will black hat, and she was talking. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Everybody will hear it again. Um, I only have so many stories, um, but she was talking <laughs> about how. Um, so she's a security researcher. She was like, how, "We we tell the and we tell people they have to be vigilant, like 007 vigilant all the time." And she's like, how, how hard is that? And so she decided that she was going to hire a company to spearfish her. Um, she knew it was coming. She knew how many times they were going to try and attack her. And she knew over what time period they were going to do it. And I think she said she fell for three out of four or four out of five or whatever it was. And it's just, it's impossible. And even as she clicked the link, as soon as she clicked the link, she was like, oh, nuts that was definitely a phishing attack. That was them and I screwed up. And it's because they just, I mean, right. I mean, depending on what your job function is, I have an externally facing email. Like there's people who have to contact me who I've never been in touch with before. um, And then I, you know, right. It's don't open emails, don't click links. And so I don't think awareness and being vigilant is a reasonable ask. And I'm curious what your thoughts are, Jessica. Yeah.
2: It's, I mean, I think awareness is really important. I think um, people, you know, being aware that this stuff happens, um, understanding some of the telltale signs, I think that's all good. Um, But we can't rely on that as our only defense. And we also have to make sure that we, with our messaging, that we are precise, that we're consistent, and that we only recommend stuff or try and um, advise things that actually people can action otherwise we just reduce their ability to engage with us we reduce the extent to which they want to you know we increase fatigue we're just creating noise and making it much harder to get through with the messaging that actually matters So I did a a keynote for SAM Security Awareness Summit a couple of weeks ago, and I paralleled some of the communications we've seen around um, Mm COVID-19 and cybersecurity communications and some of the criticism of some of the COVID-19 communications where it has been imprecise, where it's been vague, where it's been actually recommending stuff that people can't practically do and um, where it says things, you know, for example, in the UK, be alert. Well, what does that mean <laughs> on oh, my alert right. all the time? That's exhausting beyond anything else. Um, and focus groups around those messaging found that people's understanding of it was low. And actually, in some age groups, mm. their flouting of the rules um, doubled. And it's right. the same, I think, with cybersecurity messaging. So. Um, me and my husband FC did a sort of parody video of some of the cybersecurity messaging, where it's kind of like do this, but don't do this, and what about that, and what about this, and we end up being so contradictory that it just ends up impossible for even us to action, let alone people who aren't security professionals. Oh yeah, no,
1: I mean the fact is, I break the rules all the time. I get in mm-hmm. like I have to in order to to do what I need to do. I. I, you know, I have to click on links sometimes that like, I've never, I don't know who this person is, but I'm reasonably confident and I have to use my brain to figure out what, like, what's the Mm -hmm. risk here. And I think awareness, I think you bring a great point. I I just want to make sure to stress it is awareness of what to do is way more important than awareness Mm -hmm. of being vigilant. Like the idea of vigilance is tough. The idea of that, oh shit moment. I clicked the link. Now, what do I do is way more important Um, and something, right. I, you know, and, and to Joe's point, like we need to make sure that CISOs and and people like me aren't like, Oh, what did you do? You know, like, it's like, Oh, okay. Let me help you. Let's try and figure this out. Let's get ahead of it. Um, thank you so much for, for letting me know early rather than like sleeping it under the rug and me having to find out Mm -hmm. about it. It's sort of like my kids, um, you know, I, they're yeah. not going to get in trouble yeah, if they come yeah. to me, but if I find out about it after the fact, that's where there's the problem. <laughs> yeah. And I, there's, <laughs> yeah. The, the, you know, even the diagram,
0: the, that cartoon that we've seen many times, you know, everyone has, a, you know, a Dave in the organization. Um, mm. You know, we got, you know, IT and security on one side, you got Dave on the other side. But to right. be honest, reality is we are we are all Dave. <laughs> right. we, all of us are. It just comes down to, you know, how criminals abuse our trust and what's our, what's our point, you know, of being abused. And, then, you know, even the point where, Having to look and be vigilant, your, your point, Jessica, is really looking at being alert all the time. That's not kind of going to be able, you know, that would be just so much pressure and fatigue and exhausting to do that all the time. <laughs> um, and I even seen, I remember years ago getting into implementing it was a, a security communication to the employees. It was a large organization, 100, over 100,000 employees, and we were doing this communication. And we kept failing. We kept failing all the time because putting it into this very legal, very official policy speak does not relate and does not communicate effectively to the employees. Right. And what I found is that, you know, really getting into, we changed it eventually. We actually brought kids in to tell us how to communicate to adults. And they nice. told us that the best thing is getting into comic books. Comic books yeah. tell a story. Um, getting into that image and, and, and graphical. And we took specific use cases and we actually put it into storyboards. And that was the most important. Kind of crucial thing that we took one example of, you know, USB, plugging it in, what can the impact can that be? And it also made that we didn't have to translate it, because then you get into language barriers was able to be translated across that. Um, so what, what's your suggestion into some of the best ways that we can communicate with employees effectively?
2: Yeah, I think that's a great example. Um, and we've used some comic book stuff as well with clients that works really nicely. People engage in it. You can have some fun with the graphics. So I'm a big believer in telling a story, which again, that speaks to telling stories are really powerful and people engage with those way more than they do say statistics or facts and stuff like that. Um, so using emotion in the right way, um, Empowering, definitely. You used that word earlier, Joe, and I totally agree. So, moving towards empowering rather than focusing on the FUD, the, the fear, uncertainty, and mm-hmm. doubt. Um, one thing I, I always sort of talk to clients about is the difficulty of any awareness raising if you don't have an action attached to it and if, if people can't do it. So, for example, If a client's wanting to do a campaign around passwords, but they don't have a password manager or then they don't have single sign on, um, that's really challenging because then what are you asking people to do? You're asking people Mm -hmm. to remember complicated, unique passwords. That's just physically impossible. That's not happening. Mm -hmm. So I think making sure you have an associated behavior and that that behavior can be supported um, is really important for awareness raising. And also bringing this stuff to life. So I find demonstrations um, of of attacks are really powerful. Um, getting anything interactive and hands-on, you know, whether that is um, lockpicking or stuff like that, but getting people engaged, you know, incident response scenarios, tabletops and things like that, all really effective. Anything that brings this stuff to life and is engaging.
0: Yeah. I love the lock picking because it shows the different it shows that you know in a phys- I always like to try and compare things in the physical world to that you know reality and mm-hmm. digital world because sometimes in digital it's how hard to show the impact. Um, and when you get into lock picking, it really helps you show that visualization. it helps you bring it to life. Um, one thing I really loved is I don't know if Mike have if you seen, but a good friend Ian Murphy has really kind of put these series of videos into cyber off the last like six months or so. And putting it into songs and putting it into graphics and images, I think it really, while sometimes maybe a little bit over, you know, I, I get it. I love it. Um, but I think it's a really great way of showing the reality. Uh, so, Jessica, have you seen Ian's uh, series of videos of CyberAlps And what, what's your thoughts on those approaches?
2: Yeah, I have and I think humor is mm-hmm. um something that's often overlooked as a tool in this industry and I think it can be really powerful. Mm-hmm. Obviously, it depends on the context <laughs> and the right. client culture. So mm-hmm. any awareness raising has to kind of go with the culture mm-hmm. of an organization. I sometimes see um and this is not connected to like to that, mm-hmm. but this is all sort of moving on just in general. I sometimes see um infosec teams wanting to change the culture of an organization or put in materials that are at odds with the culture. You really have to go with your culture. And of course you want to shift it um, but so it's, it's getting the right tone of your awareness raising for the right context that I think then you're, you're looking at something kind of magic. Yeah, we,
0: we can't change people. We have to take security and put it into the existing. I always use, there's a metaphor that I've used, uh, you know, to try and compare this is that, you know, if I turn around and tell all my employees that from tomorrow, I know that you drive to work and I know you drive from A to B and that is most convenient, but tomorrow I want you to take a train, a bus, walk and cycle. And that's because it's safer, it's more secure. Um, but to change that habit, it's, it's difficult to do. What you want to do, what your real intention was to, to do is actually maybe put go slow or, you know, be careful as you're driving on the road. So what you're trying to do is not change people's habits, but you're trying to embed security into their existing uh, methods of doing things. And it should also, you know, somewhat be in the background. It should not be something that they should, you know, potentially have to completely change. It should be just actually existing security controls into what they do. Michael yeah my, my feeling yeah. is
1: yeah my feeling is right It's really about changing people's thought process or how they approach how they're going to mm-hmm. do what they're going to do. like um, when I got to Cyberay, for example um, in 2015, 2017, the company had been around since 2015 and so I came in and I was like, okay, I have to change how we're doing things, but mm-hmm. I also want to make it so that people I don't want to change how we're doing it, just how. What I want to do is change people's thought process of why they're doing what they're doing and then just make it so that it's just more obvious and more clear, Mm -hmm. oh, I should do it this way because X, Y, and Z. Um, Not everybody needs admin access to this thing because these are the bad things that can happen if everybody has access to the PayPal account, for example. So it's (laughs) it's hearts and minds,
0: isn't
1: it? Yeah,
2: yeah, and, and helping people understand the why. Right. Um, which I think you both touched on there is really important because if we just tell people, don't do this, don't do this, don't do mm-hmm. this, and give them no idea as to why, then it's like, well, why, why should I? That's just making my life more difficult. Right. And it's pointless. It's just in that coming up with some rules. And my so, feeling
1: is it's also about making it not just the why, but make it easier for them to do it the right way than to yeah. do it the hard way. And I've learned that lesson over and over again across whatever it is in technology is people will take it's a stream, right? People like mm-hmm. the water will flow the path of least resistance. So make the that mm-hmm. path as easy and as secure as possible. Security um and we we're talking right. And we we're talking about humor yeah. earlier. I do like um, so our security awareness training, that was one of the things that I looked for was I found a, a company that um does them. It's a monthly module. They use a lot of humor. Um, you know, it's a little hit or miss sometimes, but uh, overall, the feedback I've gotten from everyone is like, as bad as security awareness training is, this is the best security awareness training I've taken because it's got has that element of humor, and I thought yes. it was pretty um it was pretty cool when our HR people came and they're like, you know, we want to do like anti harassment training, and we want it to be. Similar to how we're doing the security awareness training and that same level of humor, but not not cringy, um, which is very much more difficult to do in any harassment thing. Security, yeah, definitely, <laughs>
2: that's a challenge. Exactly, <laughs> you want to get that right.
0: <laughs> Absolutely, we want to bring we Mr. Bean, Mr. Bean, version of cybersecurity. <laughs> that's, um, yeah, that's that's, that's a that, the how. But I have a question. So Mike and Jessica, one of the things I've got is that you know. Being, being you based in the UK and Mike in the US and me based in Estonia, is that, you know, are we seeing, you know, differences in cultures as well? Because I have seen in, in North America, you know, some, some cases in the past year or two, they've taken a much more aggressive approach to employees, disciplinary actions. Um, is that something we're, we're seeing continuing um, that employees, you know, that, you know, may be a efficient uh, email that now become, you know, um, you know, actually losing their job as part of that. Is that something, is it a culture difference or are we seeing that just being a, a unusual just spike in that uh, events and we're changing more to to seeing them as victims? Is there, so is there... I'm
2: really interested to, to sort of hear um, Mike's perspective on this. I can certainly talk about one case from the UK, um, which hit the headlines. And I... I think I know the final outcome of the case. Essentially, a worker for a pretty small company up Mm -hmm. in Scotland, um, she received a phishing email. I think it was invoice fraud. Mm -hmm. Um, She transferred the money and then they realized um, it was phishing. Too late. The money's gone. Um, You know, we've heard that story a million times, unfortunately. Um, But the company fired her. So she lost her job and then they took her to court to try to sue her for the money that was lost, which I think was a couple of hundred thousand. Um, And in the end, I think I've seen the final bit of of the court case, because you know, sometimes these things come back around again. But in the end, the last I saw it, um, the employer or previous employer Mm. had lost the case because it was deemed that the um, employee hadn't had sufficient training. Mm-hmm. And so then that sets a precedent of, you know, organizations need to make sure they support people, that they train people, yep. that they ensure there is a way to, to report these mm-hmm. phishing emails, that everyone understands it. Um, that was a sort of a tense moment, I think, of like, which way is it going to go? Because if the yep. courts had sided with the previous employer, then that sets a whole different precedent Correct. where suddenly we are blaming people on a whole other
0: level. Yes. Yeah, and, and Mike, yeah, I get scared of that. Actually, that mm-hmm. yeah, that seems terrible.
1: Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and my experience in with working with different organization. So prior to being at CyberArea, it was a company called Red Owl, and we sold mostly to financial services. It was uh, a user uh, behavioral analytics platform, right? So trying to identify potential uh, inside risk and inside threat and potentially malicious insiders, um, which I found funny given how small <laughs> percentages. percentage um, In any event, uh, what I found was that I don't know if it's a culture, if it's a U.S. culture thing or if it's an industry thing, but definitely, there was big disparity, you know, a, a big differences between how different organizations just approached it. There were some that wanted to rule like draconian, dictator style with an iron fist. Anybody who screws up is out of here type of attitudes. and And then there were others who were, I would, what I would classify as way more progressive. The, no, no, it's on us. Like if a user does a thing and it results in bad stuff, that was us failing them, not them failing the company and i don't know if it's a i don't know if it's a culture by country or industry or if the stakes are higher at large financial institutions, and therefore they feel that they have to be more draconian I, I don't know where the the boundaries are I do know that like um, I worked very briefly at one and uh, within the first couple of weeks, there was a a phishing awareness. Like they sent me a spear phishing email and I didn't handle it properly. Um, But what's funny is I couldn't handle it properly. I was supposed to report it, but I was on a Mac and they didn't support Mac. So there was no way for me to actually report it. And I got reprimanded for not reporting the email because I wasn't using Outlook on Windows. And I was like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. (laughs)
2: That's a perfect example. Exactly. A perfect right. example of like you right. have to make this stuff easier. Right. Um, but, but yeah, I see the same. I see big, um a big split between organizations that are much more progressive, as you've described, and organizations that are still in that what I see as a kind of older mindset that we're leaving behind of of blaming people. And I don't really see it being split by sector because I know some big banks that are much more progressive, certainly from a UK perspective. So I haven't yet kind of worked out other than on a sort of maturity level in terms of their security culture. I haven't really worked out what the pattern is. It might just yeah, so be who's you, in charge, yeah.
1: the CISO, right? I mean, it might just be, it yeah. just flows from them. I'm sorry, Joe, you were yeah. going to say.
0: Yeah, so, so I've, I've had experience in this in the past. I, I did a lot of work, you know, uh, probably a good 10 years ago in the maritime industry. And what I saw was that in that, that culture and that, 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 that change is that when you've got an incident, and, and that's what I did see in mostly in, in, in shipping accidents, is that if you find a policy failure, the insurance doesn't pay. Mm -hmm. because the company was at wrong. If you find a human failure, the insurance pays. So sometimes what I did find was that as you get into cyber attacks, then becoming much more uh, a frequent occurrence, is that the company wanted to find a human at fault, because then they were able to get the insurance money to pay for the accident. Versus that if they had a policy failure, let's say the employee didn't follow or the policy was wrong, You get into things like PCI and you get into ISO or you get into all these frameworks. Now I'm at risk of a financial exposure from a regulatory compliance failure. So in many cases, sometimes that the way the structure in the industry set up, especially around compliance regulation, that companies want to find human failure because otherwise they might be exposed financially from a a regulatory failure. Um, And I get worried that this is the continuous, especially as cyber insurance becomes more popular. Um, and companies start looking at, I'm hoping the cyber insurance policy doesn't force us down that path that what I did see in the maritime industry. So my, that's a, a fear that I have that we we start looking for human failure um, because it pays. Yeah.
1: Yeah, the, the uh, unintended consequences. I always, uh, it's always at the root of why things end up best intentions And then, Mm -hmm. like, I'm sure the insurance had all the best intentions, but right, the unintended consequences. Now we just blame people rather than actually trying to solve the problem.
0: Yeah, Yeah. and and one thing, so Jessica, one thing, one thing as well is that I've seen a lot in the industry as well, and this is something you know, getting your perspective on it is that my view is that you know we're all here to to defend. My my goal is you know I use my expertise to to. I realized a few years ago when I did a pen test. That my job, my job is not security. I, I quickly realized that actually my job is to identify business risk, either human side or technology side or process side, and use my knowledge in order to help actually put reduce that risk. Um, and my experiences in the security side of things of how how to reduce that risk. Now, with that, one of the things is that you know we tend to have you know all companies will have incidents. You know, there's no 100% security. Um, the incidents can be big or small. But what I hate is seeing this aggressive uh, finger point the organizations when they do become victims. You know, ultimately, you know, I do see is that, you know, organizations, they all are also the victim here. They're Mm -hmm. also, um, they're the victim, their employees are victims, their customers are victims. Um, So from your perspective, do you see, you know, in the industry, you know, how do we deal with that? How do we improve to make sure that vendors aren't just using these as an opportunity to sell products? and that we realize that we're here as a we're a collective rich community all with the same goal in mind how do we overcome that
2: yeah it's really challenging because i think we see it and you know you see it on social media don't you whenever there's mm-hmm. um an incident um that becomes kind of public knowledge and it's really Unhelpful because of course it then just, I mean, it's, it's stressful, I think for the organization that's a victim. There are peers working in those organizations, you know, and they're, they're being attacked by their peers in the community. Um, and of course, again, it's on this sort of higher level, just drives people mm-hmm. to try and hide incidents because reputational damage can be one of the most damaging things. And so people don't want to talk about it um, because they don't want the finger to be pointed at them. I do, again, think the the tide is sort of turning and it's becoming less acceptable in the community to take that kind of approach. I think some people still struggle with it. I remember um, giving a presentation at a conference, I don't know, maybe six or so years ago now. And I was talking about this. I was talking about this kind of victim blaming of individuals Mm -hmm. and organizations. And it's the one time I've had someone literally heckle me in the middle of my talk and derail it. And it was my fault. Mm -hmm. I was a pretty new speaker and I Mm -hmm. allowed it to happen. And we kind of got into this debate of like, to what extent do you blame an organizational victim of an incident? And the person's perspective was they haven't done what they should to protect data. And that might be my data. Um, It might be personal data of people I Mm -hmm. care about, financial data, they should be doing more. And if they get attacked, then it's their fault. And I was kind of saying, well, that might be the case in some incidences. Um, There is often organizations, things that they can do more of, Mm -hmm. um, but it's difficult. It's challenging. There's no such thing as 100% security. People are out there working hard at it. And if we're looking at a hierarchy of blame, the criminals have got to be at the top of this, right? Right. Yet we often don't talk about them. Because they're often unseen, and we like, as humans, we like to attribute blame, and yeah. you know that sells from a news perspective. When you can have a bad guy, person, you know, organization, yeah. mm-hmm. and when you can pitch kind of good against bad, um, and if you can't identify the attackers, then sometimes the victim becomes gets yeah. into yeah. that role of, of being blamed.
0: Is part of the cause here is that when we don't, mm-hmm. when we can't point the blame to any, you know. Company and we we've also you know got to the point where we're blaming countries without having really good attribution and and that doesn't also you know provide any value um, other than actually create more political uh, strains.
1: Yeah. Right. Yeah. You no. Know, I was going to say it's sort of bringing into the physical. Um, so a number of years ago, a friend of mine was walking in DC, got stabbed and robbed. Mm-hmm. He was on a street in DC. To say like, what could he have done differently is just not an option, like, yeah, he could have not been there, but he needed to be there. He was going to his car from, you know, so I think that there's that same sort of, um, you know, you have to bring it back to that person who's like, "Well, obviously the company is not doing everything they could." Yeah, I guess my friend could have been wearing a Kevlar vest and could have, you know, <laughs> there's any number of things, but there's like you this risk, help. right? Exactly. Like, <laughs> there's only so much that you can really do to defend yourself against certain things, and it's it's sometimes it's just bad luck, sometimes it's wrong place, wrong time, sometimes it's you don't realize that you're a uh, a target for whatever reason. Yeah. And, and, and we have to call them. We have to be We have to be honest. I, I, one
0: thing is that, you know, even Jessica, I don't know if you have recommendations in like the PR and communication side, because that also is a problem in our industry is that when we have people coming out and making these, you know, the cyber attack with sophisticated hackers, you know, in, in my mind is it, they're, they're digital thieves. They're just, we we need to, by calling it sophisticated and calling them hackers, we're putting them in the pedestal stone that we should not be doing. We're putting them up there and, and, and they, they, they actually enjoy that. We had mm-hmm. to get down to really calling them. It's, it's, it's crime. It's, it's yeah. digital thieves. You know, we had to get calling them to what it really is. And those you know, companies and employees are victims. Um, and we had to make sure that you know, this is no different from going in and robbing a bank um, or going to, to your point, Mike, you know, going and stabbing someone in the street is that there is a human impact here. There is a financial impact. And uh, we had to make sure we call it what it is Um, they're not leaking data, they're stealing data. Um, we had to get to really getting into, and and our terminology is horrible. We like, we like (laughs) acronyms. We like, you know, they create new marketing ideas, but I think we really have to get back to the basics and really start getting into consistently calling these crimes and really getting, highlighting the impact.
2: I completely agree. I think it's, you know, they're criminals. That's that's yep. what they are. And that's what we should be calling them. And it, that brings a clarity as well. Um, and I think on the on the victim blaming thing, it's part of it, just to kind of go back to that for a second, part of it is uh, down to a psychology thing. Mm-hmm. And it's the same with physical attacks. And when we see victim blaming there, um, as with cyber attacks, is if I can blame a victim, it makes me even subconsciously feel more comfortable that it won't happen to me. Mm. And that's what it comes down to. Often when we see victim blaming is people say, oh, well, they did that wrong. I would never do that. So I'm fine. I don't need to worry about this. Is it's it, the is it
1: that they feel more process. comfortable or they just feel superior?
2: Yeah, maybe a bit of both, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It's it's pointing the finger and just making right, yourself that would feel never, better. I,
1: Right, when I walk around, my eyes are always up. I'm looking from side to side. I, that would never happen to
0: me. Yeah. You've got, your, you've got your, your, your little masculine walk. In the yeah, fence, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Right, right, right. On, so. right. Yeah, I'm Tom walk. Cruise. I'm Tom Cruise in disguise. <laughs> <swagger>. I'm fine. Exactly. <laughs> so, but I do find, you know, one thing is I find is that actually organizations should um, help the victim. Um, as well, and actually become a, uh, I find that the best people to speak out are those who are victims because they really know the true impact. And I do find that even turning them into spokespeople or, or um, you know, sharing their story with the organization. It reminds me, going back, I think one thing that changed a whole perception in the industry, I think, was when Norsk Hydra uh, were the victim of, and, and they created videos. They showed the real people, they showed people working around the clock. Um, you know, spending time away from their families, ordering pizza and 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 trying to recover the systems. And I think they really made, I think that was one for me, I think that all companies could probably take a, a good lesson from into to really showing, you know, we, when we do become victims, uh, organizations will, that we have to really start highlighting, you know, um, their true impact, uh, what it means for people. Um, ultimately, because I think, you know, we Criminals are criminals. The ethics are out there, you know, they're they're not gonna have any ethical kind of standards. And I think we had to get to the point was, you know, even getting where countries cannot provide safe havens for them. We had to hold the countries where they're uh, providing safe havens for those criminals to operate. It really has to mean, you know, we had to work as a collaborative, you know, community together. Yeah, I, think I completely
2: w- agree.
1: Yeah um I'm curious what you think Jessica but I would say that by doing that I think it would also help so right now all the publicity is around the hackers and like you look at TV shows whether it's like Mr Robot or whatever it is mm-hmm. that sort of you know makes it seem like this like Robin Hood you know type mm-hmm. of of person and if we were to do more to show more to show the response that what we should be doing is highlighting those people. They're the heroes in the story. They're the ones who we want to emulate. And I wonder if it would also help tip the scales, not just from showing the real cost of this, but also tip the scales towards, isn't this the type of person you want to be? The person who at 3 a.m. gets that call and like saves the day, uh, as opposed to the person, you know, being, you know, just hacking into some system and stealing some money and getting away with it. Um, So I wonder, it's probably double...
2: Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I've seen that approach work internally mm-hmm. in organizations as well from an awareness raising point of view, from a cultural point of view of humanizing the InfoSec mm-hmm. team of um, of really kind of, pe- people like to have heroes. And when you showcase actually the work of the InfoSec team, what they do in terms of incident response um, and, and show that they are people, then that can really help if you've got an organization where the, the rest of the business feels a bit far from InfoSec and they're not really engaged aging. I can really help with that. Um, And actually speaking to a client the other day and I asked them, you know, what's the most successful thing you feel your team has done over the last year or so for awareness raising? And they actually spoke about an incident and the person, it was someone that clicked on a um, link in a phishing email. And then that person agreed to be a case study in a really positive way. Mm. Exactly what you're talking about was sort of showcased in a newsletter. And because they'd reported it, you know, They obviously um, used that angle Mm -hmm. and and talked about how this person did exactly the right thing in reporting it. They talked about the follow-up, what it meant for the InfoSec team, and it had a massive impact. And people are still kind of talking about that now. Mm -hmm. So we can use those stories internally as well as externally.
1: Yeah, I agree. I mean, I was... At uh, a company a number of years ago, where they hired somebody to do various attacks, whether it was USB drop attacks and all these different things and I remember and i I still remember the story. there was one woman who um I guess they had the the company had set up a fake website and was like, "Oh, yeah, you know we're we're beta testing our new h r system. please go ahead and log in with your windows credentials and she just was sort of half. Like paying attention, started logging in, hit the login button, realized right away, like, oh, crap, what did I do? Called security. And they're like, hey, not a big deal. This happened to be a simulated attack. Um, and she and the security team like made a big deal about how she responded and how well it went and the rest of it that I still remember that story from now coming up on probably 10 years. And to the point where I remember that being such a positive experience that I've done sort of similar things at Cyber where, um, you know, sort of highlighting, like I have uh, security footage of somebody tailgating into our office mm-hmm. and one of the employees sort of noticing, stepping up and being like, who are you here to visit? And it's not his, you know, he just happened to be going from one part of the office to another part of the office, saw this person come in, stepped up, did the right thing. And I want to, I was like, that's what we need to make sure that we're highlighting that people do that. And I think those messages stick with people way more than don't do this. Don't do this. Always make sure nobody's falling from behind that type of stuff. Um, we need to show that
0: there's a su- success in these scenarios right. is when, when people really can uh, are, are making a difference. And I'm, I'm not meaning that you know, you know the company has become a victim of attacks, and the employees have become victims. Um, but those successes, and I think, you know that uh, the uh, Norse Hydro one really can. That that was mm-hmm. made a really impressive positive image to me. So, Jessica, one thing I'd like to, to also ask, I think it's really right. important in this. Some of the work that you you is doing is amazing especially with the next generation of the kids just coming through. And I'd like to talk about that is that I've done a lot of work with educating myself and Mike continue to talk about how do we make kids safe uh, online and some of, the, kind of um, the work that you're doing is amazing in educating you know, the future kids and, and really getting them involved. Can you talk a little bit about you know, some of those activities that you're doing?
2: Yeah, happy to. It's something we're really passionate about at Sygenta. And actually, the whole team gets involved. They don't have to, you know, we don't force it on them. Um, but it, I guess it's part of the the ethos of of people right. that we work with. So everyone is really committed to that. And it's something we We find really rewarding personally as well. Um, So we do all sorts. um, So at Sygenta, we're a partner of the NCSC Cyber First Schools scheme. Um, We've been supporting that for years. um, And through that, run loads of activities. We obviously moved it online this year. So we ran a YouTube series um, where we answered questions and talked about different parts of cybersecurity all aimed at, at school pupils and students um we just ran a um a cybersecurity writing competition <laughs> so with the schools in the local area we said you know do you, to, do you want to write an essay and say what cybersecurity means to you like 300 or so mm-hmm. words um and the winners will get a copy of my book and some stuff like that and we we were inundated we've had over 900 entries in like the space of oh, 2 weeks so awesome. we have an Amazing team of industry judges who are um, judging the entries (laughs) as we speak. Uh, Madeline uh, on my team has done an amazing job of kind of whittling down entries as well. So we do all sorts of stuff. We do some stuff with Team Tech, which is a a fantastic organization in the UK that focuses on tech in general, but uh, has quite a strong um, cybersecurity sort of um, stream to it. So we did a live event a virtual event for over 800 school kids in the Northeast of England, which is where I'm from Mm -hmm. uh, a couple of weeks ago, which was great fun. Yeah, we do all sorts of stuff and we love it. um, And love seeing that impact and seeing kids really start to get what this subject is so that they're more secure and so that they think about it as a profession as well. Mm. Um, And so seeing, seeing some of them kind of decide they want to go into being an apprentice or they're maybe going to study at university um, is incredibly rewarding. And they're so bright that you just think, okay, we're, we're going to be all right. Actually, the kids have got it.
0: <laughs> that's great. I mean, for me, I think that's, it's amazing. And, and we really do need to, to make sure that, you know, we engage with the next generation of, of, of future, you know, defenders and protectors in the world. And, and what you're doing is amazing. Um, your book how how do people get the book? can you tell a little bit about what what to do um, sure. because I think I think it's it's amazing. I know how difficult it is to write so uh, tell us tell us about it and uh, how the audience can get a copy
2: sure yeah this time last year I was uh, frantically trying to finish it <laughs> and um, and i'm I'm really pleased with it actually. I have written this book essentially for me ten years ago you know, someone coming into the industry or thinking about the industry, just getting started and wanting to get an overall picture. Mm -hmm. Um, There's so many resources and great books out there, but something that kind of brings together the human, the technical, the physical, um, that talks about social engineering, technical vulnerabilities, cyber war, um, what cybersecurity means to different Mm -hmm. industries, Everyone from pop stars to footballers to big banks and small businesses and what individuals can do, organizations can do um, and profiles other people in the industry. I really wanted to tell the stories of people working in different roles. It's something we find with the outreach is, and I remember this at school, trying to understand what people actually do in a job. Can be, can be really tough until you're in the world of work. Yep. So, um, so yeah, and I've, I've had great feedback um, from people in the industry, executives. Mm-hmm. There's a chapter on cybersecurity for board members um, and from those students and people just starting mm-hmm. out. So it's Confident Cybersecurity available from all good booksellers. Um, and if anyone reads it, let me know what you think.
0: Yeah, we'll make sure that whatever link I don't know where we're going to put it, but we'll put it in the show notes that we have. <laughs> we'll make sure that yeah. people get a copy to the link um, in whichever, well, we'll make sure from regional-wise that will get uh, access to it. So absolutely. Yeah. And Jessica, it's been awesome having you on. This is fantastic. And I think this is really important. I think it's it's really humanizing security. That's what we need to do, is we need to show that technology is here to help us do our job, um, not to replace us. Um, and that's ultimately, we needed to work with us together. Uh, we definitely need more people like you, uh, more people coming in the industry, more people that have a, a perspective on not just, you know, I'm, I'm one of the old retro guys here and, and Mike as well, we're, we're old school and uh, uh, we have a very binary kind of process. <laughs> um, but we definitely need better, more perspective, more about the human behavior, more about how we can make security work for people, how we make it easier. Um, so it's a pleasure. Any Any final thoughts, any things that you would like the audience to know um, that you'd like to
2: change the world? To change the world, um, change, the world. <laughs> change the world in one sentence. <laughs>
1: yeah. and if anyone wants no. to. No pressure. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, I prepared this earlier. Um, no, it's been a real pleasure. really enjoyed um, speaking to you all. What I would say is, you know, cybersecurity is very broad and I focus on the, the human side mm-hmm. Um, luckily there are people really heavily focusing on the technical side, people focusing on the physical side. The more we can all work together um, and recognize how broad a discipline mm-hmm. it is, then I think the more successful we will all be.
0: Yeah, absolutely. This episode, you know, was it uh, really a pleasure. And uh, as again, you know, for the audience, every two weeks, 401 Access Denied, join us for these fun conversations. Again, provide us your feedback and comments. It's been a pleasure as always, Jessica. And again, make sure to stay safe and look forward to speaking to you all again soon. Thank you.
1: Learn how your team can get a free trial of Cybery for Business by going to www.cybrae.it slash business. This podcast is also brought to you by Thycotic, the leader in privileged access management. To learn more, visit www.thicotic.com.